Welcome. My name is Jamie Ingram. If you don't know who I am, I am the worship and missions pastor here at the church. Uh, a little life update for me. I am turning 34 on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. My dad told me that I'm now at the point where nobody cares how old I am. So uh, I, I look forward to the day at least. But uh, there's been an interesting development in my life. I just thought I would share it with you. I've finally gotten to the place in life when they take things that I really liked as a kid and they bring them back and like it's like pass them off as like being new again, right? Uh, my understanding is that they're playing on the nostalgia of the generation. It's just a very interesting thing watching as all of a sudden these, these music artists are coming out with new projects and they, oh, you know, we're going to put it on, uh, you know, iTunes, but we're also going to put it on tape cassette because that's cool again. Filmmakers are, are making movies and they're saying, you know what, 16.9, that was great for the last 20 to 30 years, but 4.3, that's where it's at. We got to go back to the square. Now, I know for some people, they absolutely love nostalgia. They love playing into all that stuff. I just got to be honest with you, I don't get it. Sometimes the way that we do things now is actually superior to the way that we used to do things. I mean, come on. We used to watch television on a TV that, yes, it was, it was wide, but it was actually deep, not wide, right? Fuzzy picture. The graphics weren't that good. I, I was trying to explain to my, my son the other day what phones used to be. He, he's only seen this thing. And so I'm telling him, no, 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 no. It used to be, it was a chunk of plastic, and it was connected to a wall. In fact, it was integral to the structure of the building. If you tried to take that phone with you, it only went so far. You can't play games on it. You can't post your divisive political opinion on the internet with it. <laughs> Maybe it was better back then, actually. <laughs> Used to be, when you'd go in for a medical procedure, it was often that it would be this major thing requiring weeks of recovery. Now, often, you can go in in the morning and be home by dinner. Sometimes the things that we do today are just frankly better and superior to the way that we used to do things. And as we've been walking through the book of Hebrews, that is the exact same point that the author is trying to make about Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. Jesus is more excellent. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. In the last couple weeks, we've gotten into Jesus is the better, the superior, the more excellent high priest. He's of the order of Melchizedek, a line that the Levitical priesthood gave honor and position to through Abraham. And now, as we come to chapter 8, we see the author of Hebrews take this idea even further. It's not just that we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest who serves a greater ministry and who mediates a better covenant. Today, we're going to be talking about the new covenant, and I'm excited about this. 
And we're going to be taking a look into Scripture and looking at, well, that was close. We're going to be taking a look at why the new covenant is better, why it is superior to the old covenant, and what does that mean for our lives today as believers. Now, i got to be honest with you. Hopefully, you've already started turning to Hebrews chapter 8. If not, this is your time to turn to Hebrews chapter 8 right now. I've got to be honest with you, though, as we're, we're jumping into this passage We're really going to be focusing on the second half of verses in chapter 8. And there's a good reason for that, which is that the author summarizes his argument in the first couple verses of this chapter, and then he gives us a little uh, sneak preview of what's coming in the chapters to come. And so this morning, I do not want to rehash what Steve has already said For much longer and better than me in the last couple weeks, and I also don't want to steal anyone's thunder from what's coming, but in order to understand what he says about the new covenant, we've got to have the context. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to read it together. Again, these first verses are going to give us some context as we get into the new covenant in the second half of the chapter. The author writes, now the main point in what has been said is this. That's a very preacherly thing to do, by the way. Uh, he just spent a chapter dealing with four verses from the Old Testament, something only preachers typically do. They take four verses and they make it into this huge, long-winded thing, right? That's what the author of Hebrews just did. He just spent a whole chapter on Melchizedek, and then almost as like remembering like, oh yeah, I'm going somewhere, he comes back and he says, now the point is this. We have such a great high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it's necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The author starts out the passage by reiterating where we've been the last couple weeks. Jesus is a superior high priest. Now let's make sure we're all on the same page, right? Why is he talking about this? Because many in his audience are Jewish believers, right? The book is called Hebrews, to the Hebrews. Many in his audience are Jewish converts to Christianity. They were under the old covenant. They were walking in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now they've come to faith in Christ. And in the midst of that, they're now facing probably some persecution, some pressure to come back to go back under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament sacrificial system. And the author of Hebrews just has one question for them. Why? Why would you do that? Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. Jesus is a great, our great high priest. And not only is he a better high priest, but he has a better ministry. Why? Because he ministers in the true tabernacle, in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, there's a lot there, but again, 
Next couple weeks, you got to come. Stay tuned. It's going to be fun. For now, just know he has a greater ministry in the true tabernacle, the heavenly sanctuary. Don't be swayed, he's saying. Jesus is greater. Even Moses, the guy who instituted the Levitical priesthood, the guy who put together the Old Testament sacrificial system, who helped put together the tabernacle. He was building it off of something that he saw that was the true thing, and his version, our version, the Old Testament system, is just a shadow and a copy. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And now finally, just to drive home his point, the author of Hebrews comes to our topic for the day. Jesus is our great high priest, serving in a greater ministry and mediator of a new and better covenant between God and humanity. Take a look at verse 6. The author writes, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Now let's make sure we're on the same page here. When we talk about a covenant, we're talking about an agreement made between two parties. And throughout Scripture, we see God step into the story of human history and make covenants with people. We see it in Genesis chapter 9 with the Noahic covenant. God steps in. I will never again flood the earth. The Abrahamic covenant. God comes to Abraham and says, I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to give you land. I am going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you. The Davidic covenant. God promised to give David a king on the throne for all eternity. Now, you may notice that when we're talking about these covenants I've just mentioned, they're unconditional. They are based on God and God alone. So when Abraham made mistakes, and trust me, he did. When David made mistakes, and trust me, he did. When the people of the earth made mistakes, and trust me, they did. God kept the covenants because he's God. But not every covenant that was made between God and people was unconditional. Specifically, the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant was very conditional. When God brought the people out of Egypt, they camped at Mount Sinai, and there God made a covenant with them. This is Exodus 19 to 24 is where we see this happen. And God promised that if Israel kept the law of his covenant, that he would bless them. And if they didn't keep the law of his covenant, he would curse them. Now, some of you have read ahead in the book. You know how it went for Israel. For those of you that don't like spoilers, I'm going to just give it to you right now. It didn't go well. The people of Israel struggled time and time again to walk with God and to keep the covenant that they had made with him. In fact, I think it's really interesting as they're going through this, uh, God again and again will come back to them and try to remind them, hey, walk with me. Trust me. And again and again, they fail. The problem really with the Mosaic Covenant was not God. The problem with the Mosaic Covenant was that it was dependent on the people of Israel. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that if the first covenant had been faultless, 
The Mosaic Covenant, that idea of faultless there, is, insu- is that the Mosaic Covenant was insufficient for the people of Israel. It couldn't save them. It couldn't justify them. It could show them their sin. But if the hearts of the people wouldn't turn back to God, the Mosaic Covenant was ineffective. It's not that the covenant itself was bad. In fact, Romans calls it holy, the law holy. But the issue was Israel's ability to keep the law. The writer makes that point as he continues on in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. He says, for finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. The author of Hebrews is telling his readers, look, the Mosaic covenant was insufficient. It needed something new. Something better had to come to be able to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish. And that thing is the new covenant. It's better. It's greater. It's superior. And now for the rest of the chapter, this is what the author is going to get into. How the new covenant is better. How it's greater. How it's superior. And this morning, that's what we're going to take a look at. Five ways, five absolutely incredible, amazing ways that the new covenant is better and superior to the old covenant, to the Mosaic covenant that Israel had been living under for so many years. And the first reason that the new covenant is better is right there in the text. The new covenant is better because it's based on God and His faithfulness and not on human sufficiency. The new covenant is better because it's based on God. I think it's really appropriate when you look at verses 8 to 12, the, the writer of Hebrews there is quoting Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. I think that's really appropriate because Jeremiah, maybe uh, more than a lot of others, saw and walked and lived the, the playing out of the people of Israel not keeping the Mosaic law, not keeping the Mosaic covenant with God. Think back to Exodus, God gives them the law. By the time Moses gets down off the mountain, they've got the golden calf ready. They've already started doing their own thing. God sends them out. They're in the wilderness. They're walking around. They're journeying. They're finally coming back in. Deuteronomy, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. God gathers everybody together. He reiterates the law again. And he says another time, he says, look, if you keep this, I will bless you. If you don't, I will curse you. Follow me. Kind of telling, though, because right after he gives all this out, God pulls Moses and Joshua aside and he says, look, this isn't going to go well. I know they're saying they're going to keep it, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to go well. And he says in Deuteronomy 31, then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be consumed. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, it is not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us, but I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. Jeremiah lived during the fulfillment of this. He's in the southern kingdom. 
Israel's been split apart. They're walking the southern kingdom in their wickedness. They're going to go into captivity. Things are not going to go well. He's crying out. He's seeing all of this stuff play out. So it makes sense that Jeremiah was the one that God came to and says, look, the Mosaic covenant is not going to work. It's temporary. Something greater is coming. The new covenant is coming. Look at the language that is used in Jeremiah and in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. We haven't read all these verses, but I'm just going to kind of run through it. God steps into this picture and says, this new covenant will be based on me. It says in verse 8, I will affect a new covenant. In verse 10, I will put my law into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. Verse 10 again, I will be their God. Verse 12, I will be merciful and I will remember their sins no more. God has stepped into the picture and said, this new covenant is on me. I'm going to make it happen. And it's going to be based on my faithfulness. The new covenant will be unconditional. For any that come to faith in God, who enter into this pact with him, he will make them his children, and they will know him. It's funny because I'm one of those people, I'm just an overthinker, I'm an overanalyzer. So whenever I come to try to make an illustration about God, I always struggle with it because God is perfect and we are not. So what do we have in this life that compares to God, right? I could talk about a parent's love for their child, but let's face it, no parent loves perfectly. God loves perfectly. I could talk about our justice system and how it does justice and all those different things, but let's face it, and we know this, it doesn't do it perfectly. Our God is perfectly just. And I could talk about people trying to be faithful all day long, and we've had some very faithful people on this earth, but none are as faithful as God. So when God says he's going to do something, he is perfectly faithful to accomplish it. When God says that he's going to create and uphold a new covenant with those who call on him, he is faithful and just to provide. John tells us that when we come to faith in Christ, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. The Jewish believers and Hebrews and each of us that has accepted Christ, we are under the new covenant. And its promises are secure to us in Christ. Why? Because it's based on God. But the new covenant is better not just because it's based on God. It goes deeper than that. The new covenant is better because it changes us from the inside out. Take a look at verse 10. The writer says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. This is God talking. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Think about what it must have been like to hear this as someone who had been living under the Mosaic Covenant. All your life, what you have known is if I do this, it will go well for me. If I do this, it will go poorly for me. If I do this, I'll get the slap on the wrist. If I do this, I won't, right? That is an external system. I've got to do these things because if not, there's going to be this external force that's going to come in and make me have to do this. But now, under the new covenant, it's different. Now, the law will be written on, the, on their minds, on their hearts. Wherever they go, they will have God's law with them. 
Think about what happens when we become an, a new believer in Christ. Second Corinthians tells us that we become a new creation. Ephesians chapter 1 says they receive and we receive and are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, we have God with us. When I have opportunity to sin, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me convicting me saying, don't do that. It doesn't honor God. It's not going to go well for you. When I want to have wisdom from God, I don't have to go to a priest and ask him to go to God for me to get wisdom and to come back and tell me what he said. I go to God because he's written it on my heart. He is with me wherever I go. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He's talking to the church at Corinth, these Gentile believers, and he tells them, Look, I'm a servant of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. One of the most transformational moments for me as a Christian, and it wasn't something that I realized for a long time in my Christian walk. See, for a long time, I was stuck in this thing I like to call the guilt-shame spiral. I would do something, I would sin, I would feel bad about it, I'd feel shame, I'd feel guilt, and I'd just get so wrapped up and, oh, you know, like, how could God love me? How could all these things, and how am I going to get out of this, and what am I going to do? And, and then I found myself doing that thing again, and it would just keep going down and down and down and down, and just the despair, the hole that I was in. And what finally broke that pattern in my life was realizing, hey, wait a second. I'm a child of God. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. I don't have to do those things anymore because God is with me. I'm forgiven of the guilt of my sin, and the Holy Spirit gives me the power to step out of it. I have the ability to choose not to do this anymore. And when I began to walk and to live in that power, going to God, saying, God, this is yours. Get me out of this. Help me to walk in you. It began to change the way that I live my life. Suddenly, I found freedom from the thing that had been a burden to me for so long. The change was just realizing who I was in Christ. Not me suddenly figuring out some magic way to get out of it, but walking in the power of God. The new covenant is better because it changes us from the inside out. New covenant is also better because it gives us a personal relationship with God. He's with us wherever we go, but I want to make sure we catch this point. It gives us a personal relationship with God. Did you catch that at the end of verse 10? God says, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach everyone as fellow citizen and everyone as brother, saying, know the Lord. Why? For all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. My wife and I have been reading through Scripture together. We've been going chronologically through the Bible. One of the things that's been really interesting to me to see is the distance that at times is between God's people and God. Adam and Eve walk in the garden with him, then they sin. They're off hiding, distance. People come out of Egypt, 
going to Sinai, they're in the wilderness, all this stuff. Moses is the mediator. He's the go-between. There's distance between the people and God. Then they set up the temple sacrificial system. Here's the Holy of Holies. You can't go in there. We'll send a priest in, very rarely, tie a rope around him. He may not come back. There's distance. But under the new covenant, we have been given the opportunity to know God, to know Him personally, to have relationship with Him. And when we know God, we're not talking about there being levels to this. My ability to know God is just based on how much do I want to get to know Him. There's no VIPs in the New Covenant. I think when you're under the Old Testament system, you're probably thinking, well, like kings and priests, and there's people that are going to have a closer relationship with God than I ever could. Well, that's not the case under the New Covenant. Any of us can know God. Rich, poor, social status, doesn't matter what sins you've got in your past, you can know Him and be known by Him. In fact, I think sometimes God revels in bringing people to himself that the world would cast aside. My grandfather, before he passed, used to always talk about that. He said, Jamie, I came from poverty. You know, there were eight kids in my family. I, my, my dad was a drunk. He was abusive. Uh, my house broke up. All these things. If you looked at me and my life from the outside, you would never think that God could use me. God took my grandfather all over the world, sharing the gospel, bringing people to Christ, use them in a mighty and powerful way. Why? Because my grandfather? No. Because he's God. Because God can do what he wants, and all we have to do is be faithful. We've been given the opportunity to know the God of the universe. What an amazing blessing that is. We receive it under the new covenant. Not only do we get to have a relationship with Him, but we get to experience God's love and His forgiveness in our lives. The new covenant is better because it brings forgiveness for our sin. Look at verse 12. The author of Hebrews says, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Warren Wearsby in his commentary on this passage noted that while the new covenant brings forgiveness for our sins, the old covenant could only bring remembrance of our sin. The author of Hebrews is going to point this out just a little later in chapter 10. He says, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Think about that for a second. First of all, I know it's 1030 on a Sunday morning, all right? I don't want to gross anybody out, but the Old Testament sacrifices were nasty. Right? Like, you bring the animal in, it's beautiful, it's lovely, God's creation. The priest takes the knife, it <laughs> blood's everywhere, right? Like, I imagine these poor guys can't ever get this, the stink off of them, right? Like, they're just doing this all day, blood everywhere, pouring out. I mean, again, I, I don't want to be gross. The word entrails is in the Pentateuch a lot. But in a way, isn't that a really appropriate picture of sin? It's gross. It 
stinks. It's yucky. But now imagine you come and you bring your sacrifice and you know when you send that bull or that whatever out to die that you're going to be right back here again and again and again for the rest of your life. Under the new covenant, Jesus Christ has made the sacrifice for you and I once for all. There is no need to come back and to give a sacrifice again. Jesus will never, ever have to climb back up on that cross for you and I and the things that we do. We are forgiven and free. And I'll be honest with you, I think believers struggle with this sometimes. I see believers walking around with the weight and the burden of their sin. Something they did last week, something, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I struggle with things and attack and feeling guilt and shame about things that I did 20 years ago sometimes. And what I have to remind myself and what we have to remind ourselves is that if I am a new creation in Christ, if I have accepted him, if I've come under the new covenant in his blood, I am forgiven and I am free. I am forgiven and free in Jesus. Not only do we get to rejoice in Christ because we're forgiven and free, but we get to rejoice in Christ because his covenant, which is sufficient for us, is also eternal. The new covenant is better because it's eternal. One of the great joys of my life right now, uh, my son came to me the other day and he said, Dad, I, you know, I know you got this uh, old book series you used to like to read. Uh, I won't say the name of it because it's kind of embarrassing. It's about aliens, kids that can change into animals. It's awesome, but also embarrassing. Uh, he said, I really want to read this book series with you. And I said, okay, cool. Let's do a book club together. Let's go get the old books out of the garage. And so we're pulling the books out of the garage. And uh, I realized something. Uh, apparently, when you leave books in a garage in Arizona for 20 years, they get both, uh, they get kind of destroyed from, you know, the heat and the dust and all that stuff. So we're pulling these things out, I mean, and they're like falling apart, the glue's not really sticking on anything anymore, the pages are all turned brown, I mean, they're, they're deteriorating. And the author of Hebrews is kind of making that point about the Old Covenant. Look, the Old Covenant was temporary. It's fading away. It's deteriorating. Did you notice, uh, take a look at what he says in verse 13. Hebrews 8, 13, the author says... Uh, when he said, when God said, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. That word obsolete there means worn out. The new covenant, when it came into effect, literally antiquated the old covenant. And now that covenant is passing away. You know, probably the early readers of Hebrews did not understand how quickly this was all going to be fulfilled and made into effect, you know, because there's a reality of like, now that the new covenant has come, we don't need this. But just in a literal sense, uh, the, old, the Old Testament sacrificial system was about to be destroyed. Just years after this, Nero was going to come in, he was going to destroy the temple. and With it, the sacrifices were going to be gone. It was passing away. The new covenant will never pass away. It's eternal. Why? It's written on our hearts. 
It's based on God's faithfulness. It's based on who he is. And because he is eternal, it will never pass away. The end of his letter to the Hebrews in chapter 13, the author is writing, and he says to his audience, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do as well, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you notice he references the new covenant, but he changes a word, the eternal covenant. The new covenant is eternal. An eternal covenant based on God, giving us relationship with him, forgiveness of our sin, and changing us from the inside out. So we close out our time here today. I just want to focus a little bit on the so what question. Remember, the author of Hebrews is writing to an audience of Jewish believers and encouraging them not to go back to the old way of doing things because the new covenant in Jesus' blood has made the old ways obsolete. But for each of us here today, the new covenant should also have a, a huge impact on our perspective. I say a lot here at Desert Springs, like, identity is important. We are Christians. We are believers in Christ. But so often our identity is taken in who we are at work, in who we are in our family. It's taken in the situation of life that we're in or in how much money we have or our ability to do fun things that we put on Facebook. As a Christian, our identity is to be in who we are in Christ, in who it says we are. And because we are under the new covenant in Christ's blood, we as Christians ought to be secure in our salvation. Jesus, in Luke 22, when he was instituting communion, it says he took... He took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When we accept Christ, we enter into the new covenant through Jesus Christ's blood. And what is set on Jesus is secure, because he is eternal. I see so many Christians who act like their relationship with God is still under the law. Like it's about what they do. And if they don't do enough good things that God's not going to love them. They act like God's as fickle as we are. God is not as fickle as we are. And God says that when we come into relationship with Him, we are secure in our salvation for all eternity. Because it's based on Him and not on us. And when we know that our salvation is secure, it should cause us as believers to walk in freedom and forgiveness all of our days. I said it before, but too often I see Christians that come in with a weight around their neck. The burden and the guilt of their sin is still weighing them down. And can I just tell you, you're free. You're forgiven. Your hope is in Jesus. You're forgiven. You can walk in the forgiveness of your sin. And if you're a Christian who's struggling to walk in freedom and forgiveness, can I just tell you, that's something you should be taking to God. Lord, I'm not walking in the freedom of my forgiveness. I am not walking the way that I ought to. I've got to surrender this to you. You tell me that you've made sacrifice for my sin, but I wasn't ready to believe it. Well, I'm ready to believe. 
You are my hope, and I am free in Christ. Free indeed. When we walk in the freedom of God's forgiveness, it gives us the ability to pursue Christ with all we have. The new covenant has given so much that we would not have had under the law. An eternal and secure hope based on God alone, a personal relationship with the God of the universe, forgiveness and freedom from the guilt and the weight of our sin. And if all that is true, our response should be very simple. Pursue Christ. Pursue Him with all that we have. He is the good shepherd, the author and perfecter of our faith. Everything in our life should be driving towards knowing Him better. The world can say whatever it wants, but believers know that knowing Jesus is better than anything this world could possibly offer us. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, can I just tell you, I would love to talk to you about who he is. Maybe you don't want to talk to me. I'm some guy on the stage. That's fine. Ask somebody around you. But get to know who Christ is and why he is so great, why he is better, why he is superior. You know, 20 years from now, there's going to be a lot of things that we use and depend on today that will be totally obsolete. I mean, I would love it if 20 years from now, we were all with Jesus and this world was obsolete. But the one thing we know that won't be obsolete is the promises of the new covenant in our lives. God's faithfulness won't be obsolete. His love, His mercy, our hope in Him. Let's rejoice and the new covenant that we have in Christ today. He is greater than anything that this world has to offer us, our great high priest, mediator of a better covenant.